0: There is no doubt that many of us felt a sense of fear and concern when we heard about the Orlando shooting. And obviously, more and more of these things are happening. And many of us in health care are having concerns about our own safety, safety of our patients, and what to do in these situations. I'm Dr. Brian McDonough. Welcome to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. We have a very serious program today, a program where we're going to talk with an expert, Dr. Joseph Dalton. And we're going to talk with Dr. Alton about the idea of what you do in these situations. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Alton's work, but he is clearly an expert in survival medicine. He deals with this. He's a physician, practiced many years, still maintains a license, but is focusing on these areas. So first of all, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you, doctor. I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: My first question for you, when you see something like this happen from a physician's perspective, If you were in that crowd, if you were in that setting, if you were in Orlando for some reason and a shooting like this occurred, what would you even do? Would you just hide, protect yourself? Would you try to triage? What do you do?
1: Well, in these situations, it would depend if the threat had been neutralized or not. In many circumstances, it's probably not a good idea to try to help the wounded if there's a good chance that you're going to become the next casualty, which essentially does no one any good. But in in a situation where the shooter has passed, passed through the area. Remember that these shooting events, although the Orlando uh, event was m- more than three hours long, most of these are only a few minutes long. And once your shooter, who's very focused, trying to get the most casualty as possible, has moved through your area, he probably wouldn't come back. And so it, it, if that's the circumstance, then your job, in my opinion, and maybe the job of, of other bystanders, is to help the wounded. Now, this is important, because law enforcement will not help the wounded until they're certain that the threat has been completely neutralized. So they'll pass by people that are even actively hemorrhaging until they're sure that there is no longer somebody making more casualties. I read something just recently in the Associated Press that said that uh, some doctors believe that one in five trauma deaths may be preventable and that the biggest opportunity to save a life is pre-hospital, and that may be the role of not only physicians, but bystanders, they can begin the chain of survival that uh, eventually ends at the trauma center.
0: Now, you're in a situation, obviously, where you're being called on to talk about these situations. What do we do? How do we protect ourselves? From your perspective, with these occurrences, unfortunately, happening more and more, what can we do to protect ourselves in these situations? How How, if you're just in the crowd... Do you survive something like this?
1: Well, I think it's clear now that these types of events are going to happen more and more. They, they can occur really anytime, any time, anywhere. We've seen them in churches and clubs, uh, holiday parties. Uh, that was San Bernardino in schools, uh, the mall at 2 in the morning or in the middle of the day. So this is indeed part of the new normal, and it pays to have an attitude uh, that is what we call situational awareness. Now, anytime that you're going to be somewhere where you're in a crowd, you need to be situationally aware. That means that you shouldn't have your hoodie up, which is tantamount to the blinders on a horse. You shouldn't be staring into your smartphone. You should be looking around and seeing if there are people that are perhaps overly nervous, perhaps dressed too warm for the weather, looking up at security cameras. These are things that are important to do. Also, it's very important To know always where the nearest exits are, if you're in a movie theater, if you're in a concert venue, anywhere where you are in a large group of people that might be soft targets for a shooter, you should always know, just mentally mark in the back of your mind, where you would go if there was a problem. And certainly if you hear gunfire, don't assume that it's firecrackers, don't assume it's a tire blowing out, evacuate the area without hesitation Perhaps if it's not that, if it's not gunfire, you'll feel silly later, but it's better than
0: not being alive. And when you're in these situations, obviously you don't go out expecting this, but what do we tell our patients or what do, you know, as a mom and dad tell their their young adults or kids, going to the movies or whatever, what sort of advice do you give them?
1: Well, I think the lesson can be taught in three words, and that is run, hide, fight. Just as we teach our children stop, drop, and roll to save the life of somebody that's on fire – Run, hide, fight could save the life of somebody that's under fire. And so this is the order that I want, of uh, the actions that I want people to take. But the truth of the matter is what people do is, is different. Most people will be paralyzed for a second until they realize what's going on, and then they immediately drop to the floor, sometimes in plain view of the shooter. And that's a recipe for a very, very bad outcome. The bottom line is, number one, run. Run away from the direction of gunfire. The second that you hear it, put distance between yourself and the field of fire. Instead of being on the floor two feet away from the gunman, I want you to be making tracks 10 feet, 20 feet, 30 feet, 40 feet. This guy is probably not a professional sniper, and the farther away you are from him and the more that you're moving, the less likely that he's going to be able to hit you.
0: You were about to make another point, the next step.
1: Yes, I I was also going to say that if you do come across law enforcement on your way out, Do not run up and hug these people. Hands up, fingers spread, make sure that they know that you're not the threat. And that is one thing that's very important. And don't expect them to be polite about it. They're not going to say, excuse me, they're going to say, get out of the way, or they're actually going to have you laid down on the floor. Now, if there's only one exit, say, and the shooter is standing in front of it, obviously running may not be an option for you. So your next choice is hiding. Now, you want to get out of the shooter's line of sight, but not by hiding under a table in the same room as the shooter. I've actually seen this in Paris. Uh, People in outdoor cafes, actually, their way of getting away from the shooter is just to hide under the table, even though the shooter was looking straight at them. That was a bad idea. Get into another room, if at all possible. Look for one, hopefully, that has a lock. If there's no lock, put together barriers, desks, chairs, copying machines. I don't care what. Something that provides a barrier that will make it difficult for the shooter to enter. Turn off the lights, silence the cell phones, stay quiet behind additional barriers if you can find them. If you can, quietly call 911, do so. Uh, this is something that you should do only if you're able to do so without uh, drawing the attention of the gunman. So that, I think, is uh, an, an the next step.
0: You're listening to Primary Care Today on Reach MD. I'm your host, Dr. Brian McDonough. My guest is Dr. Joseph Alton, the author of the Survival Medicine Handbook. With these things occurring and with these events occurring more throughout the world, what's your take on guns? I mean, um, politically, non-politically, is, is, it, is it the fact there are so many guns present leading to this problem? Is it have nothing to do with guns? What's the association at this point?
1: Well, I think that regardless of what your feelings are about gun control, I think that anyone who has clearly been on a suspected terror watch list probably should be scrutinized pretty darn closely before they're allowed to buy firearms. I mean, they're there for a reason probably saying that they would like to shoot up a place. And so this is something that I think that you're going, I think there's even a vote that is coming up or has perhaps just come up. I haven't heard the result of this yet. Uh, That would put people on a suspected terror list uh, as not being able to buy guns for a period of five years. Now, of course, there are civil liberties uh, involved here, due, pro- process, uh, due process and things like that, and so this is a, a situation I, don't, I think probably would eventually be decided by the courts if, if they pass something like this, but that's the situation. Now, I want to let people know that, although if some of those people perhaps were armed or were trained in using those firearms and had the will to use those firearms, it's very possible there might have been less casualties. But I don't want you to believe that those people were necessarily unarmed in the nightclub. The the truth of the matter is every single one of them had a cell phone. There were bar glasses. There were probably bottles. This is a bar. And there were objects that they had that could have served as weapons. Now, let's talk about about this little, what if he can't run, if there's no reasonable hiding place, you might just have to fight your way out of there. I mean, a lot of people will look look at you and say, gosh, that strategy is just doomed to failure. It isn't necessarily, you might still be able to drop an attacker, get his weapon, and decrease the amount of casualties that occur. Remember, in Paris, in uh, on a train, there was a shooter and three unarmed men, including a, an off-duty soldier, or a soldier on leave, that is, that were able to do it drop this guy, stop him from causing fatalities. Any type of aggression against a gunman could disrupt their flow. I told you these guys are focused. They want. They have a mission, and that is in the shortest amount of time to get the most amount of casualties. Anything you can do to disrupt that focus, disrupt that flow, is going to possibly put you in advantage. If you are going to charge, and that is a personal decision, if you are going to charge a, a gunman, you should always do it away from where he's playing the gun. Do it from the side, do it from the rear. Go for the weapon, try to control where it's pointed. If you have help, everyone attacks at the same time from different directions. They're hurling their cell phones, in this case, bar glasses, bottles, anything. Remember that this guy is not James Bond. He probably can't handle multiple targets coming at him from different directions and duck uh, thrown objects at the same time. I mean, you have a terrorist here who won't be able to focus, on killing a specific victim, and you might be able to drop him before he kills anybody. So this is something that I, I think is a personal decision. I believe that we have, unfortunately, become a culture of soft targets. We have to change that culture. We have to be able to understand that these events are going to continue to happen. They're going to continue to happen in places where the government doesn't expect aggressive actions from. People and the people don't expect aggressive actions like in a bar at two o'clock in the morning. So, this is, I think, going to be a discussion for long, uh, quite a period of time. I believe the gunman's plan of action and his assessment of his particular target this time around was nearly perfect, and I believe it'll be the blueprint for future attacks. So, this is something that we have to decide whether we're going to become more situationally aware, and whether we're going to do, th- uh, do things to protect ourselves. And I think we've maybe reached a point where we have to instill a, cu- a, a culture instead of, of victimization. We have, to, we have to be ready to act. And if you do act, if you do decide to, to act aggressively towards a gunman, Commit to your actions 100%. Don't throw a cell phone and then look at him and see if you hit them. You've got, to do, you've got to charge them at the same time.
0: You know, you bring up an interesting point. I would be willing to say because of September 11th and knowing the story of charging the terrorists in a plane, that if something were to happen on a plane, I would not be surprised if many people who have thought this out might charge someone on a plane. Like they, they literally might just run at a gunman, risking their own lives trying to help others. I could see that happening. But because... People don't think about the myriad of situations, you know, a movie theater, uh, a nightclub, those things. They probably are, like as you say, they're stunned. They're not focused on it. Then all of a sudden, before you know it, everyone's scattering. Is it something that we should be educating people about? In other words, should we be talking to people about scenarios and how to react? Should it be a national conversation? Is it it something or is that going to cause more problems than it's worth and put people at risk?
1: You know, I recently wrote an article which in which I recommended that we begin to teach first aid and control of hemorrhage and some of these other trauma uh, first trauma, first aid uh, in schools as part of normal education. I, I called the article, I think, reading, writing, reduce Hemorrhage. and the the truth of the matter is, children today, and young adults today do not get this type of education unless they happen to be in Boy Scouts. Uh, maybe Girl Scouts might do it also. But otherwise, these young people have very little idea about what to do if they're faced with this situation, and also it doesn't put the possibility of this situation occurring in their minds. And if we did start teaching people how to help others in emergency situations, and, and that includes, of course, controlling hemorrhage, then I think that we really uh, are missing the boat here, especially in today's times where you really could expect a, an attack like this to occur just about, as I said before, anytime, anywhere.
0: Dr. Alton, we're almost out of time, just time really for one more question. Is there something I didn't ask you, you thought was really important, you should bring up and bring up for our audience?
1: Well, I'll give you a prediction. I I envision a day when medical kits that would have materials that would help people control hemorrhage and the education for that, for that kind of treatment, I believe those medical kits will one day be on the wall next to the fire extinguishers and the uh, automated defibrillators. And I believe that they're going to be in schools. I believe they're going to be in churches, malls. And just about anywhere you, you can find a fire extinguisher or automated defibrillator, I believe that you'll one day see these medical kits. That's how concerned I am about the uncertain future.
0: Dr. Joseph Alton, it is an uncertain future. It's frightening, but at the same time, our best protection is preparation, as we know, for medicine. I want to thank you for joining us and taking the time to talk with me on primary care today on ReachMD. Thank you, uh, Dr. honor. This is Dr. Brian McDonough. If you missed any of this discussion, please visit reachmd.com slash today. You can download the podcast and learn more on the series. And thank you for listening.